This is it. This is what? If I take one more step, it'll be the farthest away from home I've ever been. Gather ye rosebuds while ye may. Carpe diem. Seize the day. We are the music makers, and we are the dreamers of dreams. And now I know that only love can truly save the world. Never give up, never surrender. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Movie Quest 2018, the first episode of a new podcast under the No Coast Bias podcast umbrella. I'm Brian Hall, the podcast king for that website, as I call myself, um, because this is the third podcast I'm doing uh, through the site, and it wouldn't be a podcast without co-hosts. Well, it would be. It'd just be a very bad one if it were just me. So I've got some excellent co-hosts here. Uh, I've got Bo Pullman. Uh, Hello and Bailey Krieger, and I'll let you uh, t- talk about. I'll let them talk about themselves uh, right now. Bo, Bo, who are you? Oh. What are you? What are, what are you? What are you doing here? Well, get out of my oh, house. Well, uh, <laughs> I'm not in your house. I'm in my very cold, uh, dark basement. Um, <laughs> I am a videographer for an insurance company, and I went to college with you, Brian. And so uh, I had this little idea to do this movie podcast, like maybe a year ago, and you seem like the perfect guy to do it with. I'm so not, uh, I talked to you. That's right. Yeah, we had a we so had a romantic, little, you guys. It's yeah. yeah. Our our lives are quite <laughs> quite romantic. Um, yeah, we had a sit down like, gosh, almost a year ago, and we were like, okay, let's try and figure out if we can do this thing. And then we initially couldn't, and then so we were missing a third person uh, to do this with because we didn't want it to be someone exactly like us. And we were trying to find somebody, and we couldn't find someone. And then I went to an Oscars party. Uh, hosted by Bailey, and while I was sitting yes. there, I realized, hey, Bailey's a girl who likes movies. I wonder if she can do this <laughs> podcast. And so I texted her. I said, hey, you're a girl who likes movies. Do you want to do this that podcast? <laughs> and then she was like, yeah, totally. So uh, that was the literal conversation. It was, hey, you're a you're a girl who likes movies, and I was like, noted, good job. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, and then here we are. Yeah. Yes, so very um, observant, Brian. Yeah, <laughs> as always. So this is so this is movie quest. So what movie quest entails of is um, we start. We, so we go from the end of the Oscars this year to the Oscars in 2019, and we look at movies every single month. We go out and we watch movies, um, and some of them we'll be reviewing and posting on NoCoastBias.com. Uh, we already all have one review up right now. I put up a review about Pacific Rim Uprising. Bo put up a review about A Wrinkle in Time, and Bailey just today mere minutes before we were recording uh put up a review about ready player one so down to the wire we, as always correct so we will be posting <laughs> written reviews um of movies that we'll be watching every month and then each month we'll all come together and do a podcast like this where we will talk about movies that we that we watched since we last talked to each other and movies that we're excited to watch and then it'll all lead up to award season and the oscars ultimately and we will um and then we will, you know, focus on award season. So, um, yeah, does anybody have anything uh, else to mention before we dive in? You guys are shaking so. your heads, which is excellent for an audio medium. <laughs> Brian, you just nailed it. I think that's awesome. Awesome. Great. So why don't we um, briefly touch on the 2018 Oscars to start? Um, obviously, since we're going from, from end to end, uh, the movie year is a little bit different than the calendar year. So um, what were your guys' general thoughts um, just about the Oscars as a whole? Uh, I know for me, hosting that Oscars party, that's something that I look forward to every year. That's kind of like, I love the Super Bowl, don't get me wrong, um, but I equally love the Oscars. That's like my night. And to me, this year, 
was the year of unpredictability. I felt like I went into this feeling like I maybe knew what was going to happen. And then every category was like an upset, I kind of felt like, um, which I think maybe signifies a change in movies overall or just in what viewers are looking for, um, which makes me excited for next year's Oscars, definitely. Yeah, um, I agree with you on the unpredictability. Um, as far as best picture, the big category that everybody looks at, I thought that was such a, like it could have gone any number of ways. I mean, there were Definitely. nine movies nominated this year. And like last year, everybody was talking about La La Land and Moonlight. Um, but this year, I felt like people were talking about Get Out doing an upset uh, victory there. I, I heard people talking about Lady Bird and Three Billboards, and a lot of people thought Shape of Water would win it. So just all around, it was like just surprising how much um, variety there was in movies winning awards. Nothing really completely swept the whole award show. I would say that there were a lot of movies that kind of fit into these really nice little boxes like you had Dunkirk winning some of the like the sound awards. Uh, you had Shape of Water winning Best Picture, but also like Production Design and um, Best Director for Guillermo del Toro. And then you had performances from other movies uh, winning acting awards, like Sam Rockwell for Three Billboards and Francis McDormand for Three Billboards. Um, screenplay, you had Get Out and Call Me By Your Name winning for original screenplay, screenplay and best adapted screenplay. Original screenplay was the most stacked category I it saw. Was. That that was insane. I, I think I slated The Big Sick to win it, and I, I, I basically flipped a coin between Big Sick and Get Out. And, I mean, Three Billboards was insane, The Shape of Water, Lady Bird. Like, four of those movies were nominated for Best Picture, and the big sick, a lot of people um, considered a snub. I felt like for not getting yeah. a best picture nod. So that that specifically was absolutely stacked. When you compare it to um, adapted screenplay, when it was the disaster artist Logan, Molly's Game, Mudbound, and obviously Call Me by Your Name, I felt like looking at the two original screen screenplay was nuts. Yeah, I, I thought. Yeah. Go sorry, ahead. I uh, for me like the defining. I think most awesome moment of that whole show was Jordan Peele winning the Oscar totally. for best original screenplay. That was so exciting, not just for, you know, politically what it meant, but also just, I mean, this is a guy who probably was told you're, you're never going to make, you know, an impact in the Oscar world. Like what, what do you think you're doing? this is not your typical area. This is, this is not what we expect of you and told a really beautiful story and, and really alarming story, but it was so awesome. And that was, I think one of the best moments of that whole awards show for me, I think that was probably also like one of the only ones I actually got right when I was predicting. Sure. But <laughs> that's beside the point. Remember, is remember we're two years removed from Oscars. So white. If you guys remember oh, yeah. when that happened, that was two years yeah. ago. And now we've got get out winning best original screenplay and obviously like one thing doesn't fix some of the problems going on in hollywood right now but that's crazy to think about two years ago there was there was the oscar so white thing and now just two years later um a guy who was writing comedy central sketches you know not even what five years ago maybe like i remember people talking about key and peel when we were in high school and now you know both both Keegan Michael Key and Jordan Peele are all over Hollywood and doing a ton of big things. So I thought I thought yeah, I thought that was really, really cool. I think There's this a lot was of... the year of Go ahead, Bo. 
Oh, sorry. There was a lot of um, uh, female nominations, too, where we wouldn't normally see them, like cinematography. The first woman nominated for Best Cinematography was in that uh, category. And then uh, something else, like... Um, Greta Gerwig, Best Greta director. Gerwig, yeah. thank you. Yeah, so um, just m- being progressive on a lot of different fronts. Yeah, that was, that was to me, a bit of a snub. Um, I ha- having not seen Lady Bird, but just something about that movie seems to pop off the screen even when you're just watching a trailer for it. And so I, I, that was one where I was shocked. I kind of was expecting Greta Gerwig to walk away with that um, award for best director. But um, I don't know. It's definitely more to come, hopefully. More nominations to come. Well, and you, and you look at, I, I would say the actress in a leading role category was just as tough, as not t- if not tougher than the actor in a leading role category. I thought the actor in a, le- in a leading role category was really tough this year, but I thought actress was just... Like Absolutely. just as tough. You had, you know, you had Frances McDormand winning it, who was excellent. Margot Robbie was very good. Meryl Streep is Meryl Streep. Like, the, like <laughs> Queen. The, yeah, the categories both were stacked, and it just, it was, it was really cool to see. Like, it was nice to see stuff be so hard to choose because of how good things were. For me, this year was like the year of odd, untold stories. I mean, yeah, totally. When you look. When you look at a lot of these movies, what they were told about, I mean, Kobe Bryant wins an Oscar. Who would have called that, you know? <laughs> yeah, you know? Bo, I mean, Bo was... wasn't very happy about that. So so Bo and I were texting <laughs> yeah. back and forth during the Oscars. Um, and, and Bo, as soon as Kobe won, he sent me a text. He said, um, uh, dear basketball sucked. <laughs> no, hold on. I got I to gotta defend this. I have to defend this. Uh, the first thing that came through my head when he won is – Okay, that was the shortest. I saw all the animated shorts because they ran them here in Lincoln. I went to go see them. Right. Uh, that was, I think, the shortest short, if not like the second shortest short. <laughs> sure. The uh, animation style just wasn't my thing. It wasn't like, very it was, good. It's very, it's, it's very simple, like pencil drawings. Yeah. And um, me, as someone who isn't really a huge basketball fan, uh, you know, I just found it to be a little... Um, like self-centered of a of an animated short so like it's just like oh really he's he's doing animation now but you know if you look at some of the others like revolting rhymes is uh very good it's it's an interesting tale it's kind of an alternate take on like um old folk tales it's long and you know it's a little bland for me lou is just kind of another generic like pixar short garden party is like visually stunning and actually has a great surprise at the end that I, I really appreciated. And then Negative Space was, I think, a French animated short that I really adored as well, but also kind of short like uh, Dear Basketball, a little too short for me. So I don't know. For me, it wasn't my favorite category. Like, it, it, right. I didn't, there weren't any like knockout, standout uh, shorts for me in that category. But um, after you explained to me sort of the journey that Kobe Bryant's been on and, and where he comes from and his perspective, obviously I know who Kobe Bryant is, sure. but I don't follow basketball. It kind of made more sense. And I kind of came around to it as the night went on. I was just like, when they called Dear Basketball, I was like, oh, I wouldn't have. Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have, have guessed that. that. Which yeah. that's, and I think the whole, that was like the whole night though, was like, oh, the feeling. I wouldn't have thought of that. I mean, I think about some of these stories that, I mean, when would this story, you know, even five years ago, 
made a difference at all. But I look at stories like, um, you know, obviously Dear Basketball. But then you think about The Silent Child. Um, you know, that was a movie with, mm-hmm. um, you know, a, I believe deaf protagonist. I mean, mm-hmm. that's a huge deal. Um, you've got Dunkirk, kind of this like hidden story. Um, and like, I don't know, I, I felt like I hadn't heard anything about that battle at all until this movie. I, Tanya, like who wants to like, that's like a really risky story to tell. So this year was like the story all this. I felt like the theme this year was what stories need to be told and should be told. And then you, you had such fun wins too, like Coco winning best animated feature, um, featuring, you know, a Mexican little boy as, as the protagonist. And like, that's so fun. It's revolutionary in so many ways. And that just, I, I think is the magic of the Oscars. It's like, okay, what's coming this next year that's going to make it so awesome. Yeah. I feel like I feel like last year felt incredibly predictable and then 2018 was the year of I don't know what's going to happen next. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what did you think of the Oscars from like a production standpoint? Like just watching it as entertainment. I thought it I was think... I thought it was good. Sorry, go ahead. Uh, I don't know. I thought it I thought it was good. I th- I think I like Kimmel in that sort of role. I think Kimmel is very good at that. Um I don't think he tries too hard. Um, like some other hosts might, I feel like Seth MacFarlane tried way too hard when he, when I he miss hosted. Ellen, bring back Ellen. Uh, I, I don't know. Yeah. I think, I think Kimmel right. was good. I think, um, I think all the in-between stuff moved quick enough and they didn't linger on anything too long that I yeah. didn't, I didn't find myself hating anything. The only, the only thing I didn't really like was when they went to that theater across the street or whatever. <laughs> they that, did that last year too. Yeah, it's, that was the only bit that I, didn't, that I didn't care for. But um, the rest, yeah. were, you know, it, it was snappy. It moved quickly. Um, the music performances were all great. Um, mm-hmm. The the um, Greatest Showman one was awesome. Oh, that yeah. It blew the doors so, down. Yeah, yeah that was easily the best one. But, I mean, none of them were bad. Um, and, I yeah, like I no. think the pacing went really was, – was the best part. Like they didn't linger on anything too long. It's a tough thing to navigate, right? I mean, I I know so many people that are like, I've never seen the Oscars. And so, like, there's obviously this, like, niche group that is going to tune in every year to watch the Oscars. So, I don't know, those kind of, like you said, hokey kind of, oh, let's go across the street and give burritos to, like, these people, you know, and give them candy. You know, that it just kind of adds, I guess, for me, a little bit of relatability when you see, like, you know, Margot Robbie, who's gorgeous and Australian. And she's like, here, have a burrito. And I'm like, okay, this is why maybe some people would be like, I'm going to watch the Oscars. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I, I like Kimmel as well. This is his second year hosting. Yeah. And I thought he he did a good job of sort of um, talking about the issues at hand and relating what's gone on in the last year. And there were some really obvious things he could have done, but he didn't overplay it. And I liked the um, giving um, Warren Beatty and Faye Dunaway a second chance at presenting Best Picture that after this. That was hilarious. <laughs> that was yeah, so funny. That was so good. And and they pulled it off and, you know, they were redeemed. So I thought that was a great way to wrap up the show. And overall, I really enjoyed it. I heard a lot of people say that, you know, they found it boring or that it was subpar compared to others. But I like you guys, I thought it, it moved along fast. I thought the pacing was great. They don't have a lot of wiggle room because it's such a long ceremony, but they're very efficient with their time. Yeah. The one thing I'm going to suggest, less bedazzling on the stage. I don't know what was going on, but it was like diamonds <laughs> everywhere. Oh, yeah, totally. And I was like, oh, they're trying to be relatable. 
Meanwhile, their stage is like decorated with diamonds, and I'm like, eh, yeah. maybe tone it down next year. That to me was the most overdone part. But yeah, if, the, if yep. the set is the most overdone part, then I'm then I could be happy with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. All right, so so that was that was the Oscars, and then obviously um, we've been watching movies so far to, to start the year. So uh, quickly, uh, we wanted to list all the things that we watched. So I watched, um, so far I've watched Black Panther, Pacific Rim Uprising, which I wrote a review for, and Survivor's Guide to Prison. And Bailey, you watched Ready Player One, which you wrote a review for. And yes, then, I've been slacking terribly, <laughs> but I'll be watching more, don't worry. And then Bo, <clears throat> you watched. Drum sorry, roll. I'm gonna be talking for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so bashful. <laughs> the Polka King. <laughs> Thoroughbreds, A Fantastic Woman, Faces Places, The Death of Stalin, Paddington 2, The Commuter, Black Panther, The Cloverfield Paradox, Peter Rabbit, Red Sparrow, Love, Simon, Unsane, Game Night, Annihilation, Survivor's Guide to Prison, A Wrinkle in Time, which you wrote a review on, Sherlock Gnomes, and Ready Player One. Oh, I forgot a couple dozen. Oh, did you? Oh, Oh, yeah. No, no, no. Go ahead. Here's what I love about this, that your list goes from, like... Like Peter Rabbit and like Sherlock Gnomes to like Unsane. Red Sparrow, yeah, like super like highs and lows. There. I, will, I, I have, will tell I, you, there's a reason why Bo is the one who suggested this. Bo watches more <laughs> movies than anyone I've ever I've ever met in my life. I'll, I'll just say, Movie Pass is a beautiful thing. Yeah. Uh, oh, don't worry. Is... I put at the end. We're gonna do a shameless plug for. Actually, we can do it. Do it now. Um, I put a shameless Movie Pass plug. So. Bo and I are both subscribed to MoviePass, which, if you don't know, is a way for you to watch movies for um, a much more, I would describe it as cost-effective way than normally going. Um, Bailey is not yet a member, but we're trying to convert her. Basically, what you do is you sign up for MoviePass, and you pay a set amount up front. Um, They had a deal going on when I bought it. It was about, um, I think, $85 up front. Bo, I know you bought it for, for a similar deal. Yeah, about that, yep. Basically, you pay for it up front, and for the next year... They send you a MoviePass card in the mail. It looks like a credit card. And what you do is you download the MoviePass app. And when you get within 100 yards of a theater that supports MoviePass, you go to the movie that you want to see. You um, submit a request for a ticket. And then MoviePass will automatically transfer the, the money needed to buy the ticket onto that card. And then when you go and to pay for the ticket, you give them your MoviePass card. They swipe it. And then you get into the theater. Um, and so... Like I paid eighty five dollars for it. If I and you get one free movie, or you get one movie through one movie through Movie Pass every week. So if I go every to, day, every day, every day. Oh, I thought it was every week. So if you go to movie, so if you go to movies eight days in a row, and it's not five dollar Tuesday, if it's a regular price movie oh, in the evening. We momentarily, I momentarily lost you, Brian. I, I did too. Okay, okay, sorry. So just make a note, make a note there to edit that out. So restart that sentence. Okay. So if you're going to if you're going to eight movies that are normally priced evening movies that are, say, I don't know what they are now, about $12, yeah. in eight days, you'll have already paid for your movie pass. Oh, yeah. That's crazy. Absolutely. That's yeah. such a and good most, deal. Most people do a monthly plan, right, where it's um, $9.99 a month. And even that is a great deal if you just go to one movie a month. I know yeah, that totally. some I was may... only going to go to one a week, and by two months, I would yeah. have it paid off. Oh yeah, that's about the um, that's about the rate I've seen movies since I got my card in October, and so I've seen a good amount. And my list would only be possible 
with MoviePass. Without it, I would have only seen a couple movies by now just because of the prohibitive cost of seeing movies. So totally. this all sounds like they're sponsoring our show. Which yeah, this, not, no, and, and that's why I said shameless awesome plug. Yeah, no, totally. Yeah, so uh, movie shameless pass. plug. Hit us up. Yeah. We will, we will ride pass or die for you. brought to you by, by movie pass. pass. Exactly. That would be amazing. Um, no, seriously. I know that $85 or however much it's going for now sounds like a lot up front, but Trust me, you'd rather drop $90 on movies now than pay for a movie every week for however many weeks there are in a year. The, the cost, it's, it's like not even close. So and it, and they've, even, it, I, they've even got uh, theaters in rural Iowa hooked up to that. So yeah, like there's theaters I'm not, I'm, it's not going to take too much convincing for me to get this app. Yeah, and uh, they support special screenings too. So like the Studio Ghibli fests that they do every year, you can go see like special edition showings of movies where they bring back old movies. I saw uh, Casablanca through Movie Pass because it was like the, uh, I don't know if it was like 70th anniversary or something like that. But yeah, yeah it is it is the, super cool. The they support thing, a lot of stuff. The only thing you can't do is reserve tickets in advance. You have to be at the theater. Um, you can't reserve a ticket. Like I bought a ticket for Infinity War a little while back. I couldn't put that on my Movie Pass. But right. That, but, it has to be day of show. You have to be within 100 yards of the theater. You have to reserve your ticket 30 minutes before you pick it up. And you can't. Um, it doesn't support 3D movies and like well, that's some fine. like some like <laughs> super okay. screen DLX showings. They don't support, but okay. like just ordinary everyday movie showings, they'll support. Right. Okay. Cool. Movie Pass. Hit us up. Let us let us be sponsored by you. And we'll, and we'll <laughs> so have your subscription skyrocket. So, stuff we've watched so far. So I thought. Uh, since, you know, we've had a few months and this is the first time we're meeting, I thought it might, it might be good to backtrack a little bit to Black Panther, which was the first, I would say, major movie that came out this year. Um, traditionally, it's been thought that um, the beginning of the year in February and leading up to before summer aren't really a good time for movies. Um, but I think, I think Hollywood has changed and the way that people watch movies has changed now to where if you release a good movie at any time, it's going to make money and it's going to be a success. And I think Black Panther was some proof of that. Um, I, mean, I mean, I think that's going to be the movie to beat this year, honestly, if you're looking at box office. Oh, yeah, box office numbers, you know, it's insane. Um, Ready Player One did well in its opening weekend, but it's still in second place compared to um, compared to Black Panther. And we're not even to the summer blockbusters yet. So it'll yeah. be interesting to see how some of those bigger movies this summer, I know there's a new Jurassic World. Um, you know, I think there's a new, uh, the Crimes of Grindelwald, the new Harry Potter movie, oh, I think right. this fall, you know, yeah. it'll be interesting to see how those big movies stack up against Black Panther. But I don't know, I, I have a feeling that even with the summer, it's going to be the the runaway movie for the year, box totally. office wise. It took Black Pacific Panther. Rim Uprising. It took Pacific Rim Uprising like four weeks of Black Panther being out to actually beat it in the box office. That was insane. <laughs> like like I saw Pacific Rim Uprising beat it, and I was like, that's fine. But Black Panther's been out for a month. Like I would hope that a movie by now is making more money than Black Panther. Well, Black Panther came out back in February, and we're now in April, and it still has many showtimes at the theater. Yeah, Actually, exactly. more more showtimes at the Grand downtown in Lincoln than some of the new movies that are coming out, like you know, like Unsane or some of those smaller movies that you see. Like two and a half months on, and we're still here. It's crazy, and it's it it was the first movie this year that really felt like an event that yeah, everybody totally. was involved with. Like last year, you you had 
movies like It. You know, It made a huge impression at the box office, but that was more of a summer movie. This was a February movie that did this. It's just so rare for that. So, so and for comparison, um, Deadpool came out last February as well. And Deadpool was another very good, well-received superhero movie. And that did not, like, that made a killing at the box office. But even that wasn't at this level. Deadpool was right. kind of this this big superhero February release, and people are like, wow, maybe you can release movies in February in the box office and they'll still do well. And now Black Panther comes out and it's shattering records. And it's it's just Yeah, I guess there, there, there tends to be movies like that. Like, I know Get Out came out early in 2017 as yeah. well. So there's, there's usually like one that stands out from the pack, it seems. And Black Panther was this year's, but it was also just such a, such a cultural event. It was the first Marvel movie to do what it did in so many different categories. Just the first yeah. movie in general, even. Um, I, th- mm-hmm. I think I think Marvel it being this this flagpole for a, a series made it such a big deal that not just because it was a Marvel movie but because it was this major studio movie and like you said the cultural impact it had was just completely insane and it's still going on. It will be interesting to see. I mean, from I'm I'm I know that Brian's gonna freak out whenever he talks about his uh, superhero movies because those are like his thing. Um, for me, that's like not so much my thing. So I'm always every time I hear a super movie, I kind of like I'm like uh, another like Marvel money maker, and I always am like super uh, I guess like jaded towards them. So I'm keeping my fingers crossed that Black Panther will just continue to do better than all the other superhero movies that ever come out because it does feel different somehow and i haven't even seen it yet yeah, so, and so bailey hasn't seen yeah. it Bo, you and i saw it together the night it came out we did and um so so Bo, i will ask you this was it worth the hype uh i think black panther is a very good movie and it's sad that we have close to 20 now to the point where you can make a top 10 list of marvel movies <laughs> so but if I, I was having a conversation with some with some no coast bias people about this uh, like we were listing top 10 Marvel movies and by the time you get to nine or 10, it's kind of a stretch because there are a lot of bad ones. There are, there are a lot of bad ones and I actually still have not seen all of them. Um, I still haven't seen the second two Iron Man movies. I haven't seen Iron Man two or three, which is sad, but throw a dart. Uh, I probably haven't seen one. Like, let's be honest. Like I've probably seen like 10% of all Marvel right. movies. I've, I've only, I've only not seen one. Which one have you not seen? Uh, the only one I haven't seen is Thor: The Dark World. Oh, that and, one you can see. And I mentioned I, I saw Spider. So, Bo, I was with you and some of your friends at Spider-Man: Homecoming. I think it was Spider-Man: Homecoming. Yes, uh, we and, went with your friend, didn't we? Yeah, my friend, and I think a couple of your friends, or maybe I'm oh, I think Audrey. Audrey was there too. Audrey was there, and then some of your friends were also there. But I just remember one of them. Uh, we were talking about Thor: The Dark World, and I was like, "Yeah, it's the only one I haven't seen." And then oh. I was like, I was worried. I was like, I'm kind of worried because I feel I felt like I missed some things in, in Age of Ultron because I didn't see Dark, Thor: The Dark World. And he goes, as someone who saw Thor: The Dark World, you didn't miss anything. So yeah, that was that was at Thor: Ragnarok. You were having that discussion. Oh yeah, that's right. That's yeah, what, yeah, yeah. That's what. It was. And yeah, so I actually had I watched Thor: The Dark World with that person, and yeah, I was just mostly just looking at images happening that formed what. I guess you could technically call a movie, but, uh, but yeah, it's, it's kind of sad that there are so many Marvel movies that you could make a top 10 list of Marvel movies and still not like represent um, all of them by far. But like, if I made a top 10 list of Marvel movies that I've seen, Black Panther would certainly be in there and be pretty high. Um, I went in not really knowing a whole lot about 
Black Panther the character, other than what we saw in Captain America Civil War, where he makes his first appearance. Right. Um, he was one of my favorite characters in that movie because Same. I wanted to know so much more, and he was so mysterious. And so we get some of that backstory behind how T'Challa becomes the Black Panther. And uh, we see where he comes from in Civil War. You see a lot of the stuff with his dad. And you see more of his familial ties in this movie. Um, I thought that this movie had a tough time sort of um, getting to a place where I understood where all its pieces were moving. It takes a good hour where it's kind of introducing the villain and then taking him away for an hour and setting up all these pieces on the board before it starts like playing with them. But once it gets to that point, I thought it was really solid. It's visually very imaginative. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are like very ritualistic things that happen in this movie that you just haven't seen in other superhero movies that are just visually stunning and imaginative. Um, And then the uh, villain of Killmonger is one of the best that Marvel has put to screen. I would say the Um, best. I would say say no question the the best villain. Now, Bo, you said uh, when we were sitting in the theater and the credits were rolling, we were waiting for the post-credit scene, you told me that you thought Michael B. Jordan stole the show. And that's an opinion I heard from a lot of people who watched this movie. Um, saying that they thought that uh, Michael B. Jordan's character of Killmonger was the most interesting, uh, the most relatable throughout the movie. And personally, I I liked Chadwick Boseman's performance more than Michael B. Jordan's. Um, That's fair. Which, which I feel, and I mean, I like them both a lot. I just thought Chadwick Boseman did an excellent job um, with sort of his portrayal and sort of the, the and, and, and I, I got into a bit of an argument about someone with this too, where they were talking about how... Um, they thought that his character was boring. And I said, quite honestly, it was a breath of fresh air to have a character, a protagonist of a Marvel movie who's serious and isn't making quips and funny jokes all the time and who isn't like a Tony Stark or um, to some extent like a Peter Parker. Um, it was it was nice to have that more stoic, serious um, character, kind of like Captain America-ish, but even that movie had a lot more quips than I felt like this movie had. Um, but yeah, it was it was a nice it was a nice change of pace. To have to have a character who's more who's more serious and and reserved. I think your preference for for T'Challa, uh, you know, being the your favorite character is is earned. I think that's fair. Um, I think that both characters want similar things. It's just what extent they want those things and the methods by which they want those things to happen. So they're they're both trying to make the right decision, right? I mean, Killmonger is not necessarily evil for evil's sake. He actually has something to say. Totally. And he's he has something to say about Wakanda's role in the world and the role of this technology that's introduced in this movie, um, the vibranium, I think it's called, right, Brian? Uh, the yes, nerd. yes, vibranium. Uh, I, I am the nerd. nerd. Yes, <laughs> you're the nerd. You're the resident nerd. Um, he has he has his own takes on Wakanda's role and and how vibranium should be used in the world to help people, help the people who are oppressed rise up. So he's more of the violent sort of. Uh, take on this and then um what what is kind of cool is he's he's formative in t'challa's outlook on the world by the end of the movie and and we won't go into major spoilers on what happens to these characters but i thought he he stole the show because he actually gave a presentable thought worthy argument for his side rather than just being evil for evil's sake and i thought he was actually pretty charming as well so not only that but but he was he he maintained the same mindset from start of the movie to end of the movie, there's a very mm-hmm. specific point where he could have, where they could have changed 
the way his character thought and approached things, and they didn't, and I think it worked really, really well. And also, to your point about him having this purpose for what, everything he's doing, that's a big knock on the phase one Marvel movies, the original Iron Man and the first Captain America and all these other movies, is that the yeah. the villains were just evil just sort of because... And it didn't yeah. really make sense. Their motivations weren't very clear, and they weren't very well thought out. And this was this was one of the first times where a villain made complete sense front to back, and it worked to their credit. Obviously, mm-hmm. um, yeah. The the another thing that I mean, I mentioned the first hour or so kind of being a little difficult to sit with because you have to be patient with it. Uh, another thing I had a problem with were just some of the action beats felt pretty similar to other Marvel movies, like standard Marvel fare. So if you've seen, if you're familiar with Marvel's filmography and you haven't seen Black Panther for whatever reason yet, then you're you're not going to really see anything new in the action department. And then and some of the visual too, effects. What's crazy is the act, some of the action scenes were some of my least favorite parts of the movie, which has never yeah. been the case for a Marvel movie for me. Usually the action scenes are so well shot and, and click so well, but I thought that some of the action action scenes took away from the rest of the movie which was very weird. It seemed like they were kind of checking off boxes. Like mm-hmm. the movie works very well as, as this great political drama that yeah. other Marvel movies haven't totally. done again, like something new that this movie does. And the action scenes sort of take away from that because they just feel like they're checking off boxes. This is a Marvel movie. So we have to have our action scene now. Right. There's a, there's a scene in a casino that I didn't really appreciate yeah, because that, that scene, if, it was filmed really weird as well. I felt like It was, and it felt like they were kind of trying to do a take on like Mission Impossible or like a uh, James Bond movie. Like they were trying to go like into a spy movie territory or something. It just didn't work. It it felt like they were trying to dip their toes into too many pools of water, you know. So I chase the chase immediately after that is one of my favorite scenes in the movie. So I think the low points don't last very long, but they are there. I agree with you. Certainly not. Certainly not. I'd, it's still a really solid movie. I'm really happy about the success it has yeah, had. Sure. And it, it is such a celebration of African culture and um, just very fresh with its soundtrack and costumes and casting. It is great. And it, it's a visual treat as well. Definitely. Um, so, uh, speaking of success and a visual treat, I'm assuming that, um, both of those things are true of the movie you both saw, uh, Ready Player One. So I have not seen it, but Ready I have read Player the book. One. So I'm interested. So Bailey, what, what were your impressions? Um, I haven't, I haven't even gotten a chance to really read your review yet of it. Um, but what were your initial, what was your initial impression of Ready Player One? So kind of how I mentioned earlier that I'm like, I don't want to say I'm anti Marvel or things like sure. that, but like, I'm like, I just feel slightly removed from those things. Like I'm so lost in the world of like, however many Marvel movies there have been, I'm like, where do I even begin to catch up? So things like guardians of the galaxy and uh, black Panther seem like safe places for me to go. Cause they're like quirky and different. Right. That's what I was afraid of with ready player one at the start. Mm. Um, I was like, you know, I'm, I love pop culture. Like, Pretty much all my Pandora playlists are like different variations of like 80s cardio music. And I was excited for all those things. Like I, I love Steven Spielberg and especially all of his like 80s and 90s movies he's made. I was excited for that. I was scared going into it. I'm like, this is a movie about video games. Yeah. Well, and about a territory re- that right? I am not that familiar with. Yeah. 
Um, I mean, as I, as I film my, my husband's playing Fortnite and, um, (laughs) I'm like, (laughs) this is a territory I have not really ever like seriously delved into. So I was afraid initially that I was going to go to this movie and I was going to be like, Oh, cool. A movie about video games. Like I, I was just really nervous for that. And, um, immediately I felt like my worries were just dispelled. It was so fun from the start and um i felt like relatable i felt like it was a movie that someone like me who loves those 80s 90s pop culture references but is not like familiar with all of them like superheroes and video games and things like that i felt like i had a movie going experience that was honestly unrivaled compared to maybe some of the past few movies i've seen it was fun from start to finish it was it was wow. honestly like one of the most fun movies to just watch too. It was a beautifully like created movie. Okay, but what did you think? Did you have a, the same impression, or or did you have have different thoughts? Well, going into Ready Player One, I had read the book like a year ago. I, I read it last year, and um, uh, I th- did I, honestly, I recommend that book to you? I read the book because of you, okay, Brian. That's right. Yeah, yeah and uh, I, I still I, feel bad about it. So Brian, have you have you read it too? Uh, yeah, so I read the book. Yeah. I, I enjoyed it when I initially read it. I read it in like two days. And then the more I've thought about it going back to it, the more I dislike it. It's the only book where I ever enjoyed it initially and then haven't liked it going back to it. But I got yeah, and low... I've never read it, so I don't know if that helped with my appreciation for the movie. Yeah. I never and that's usually like yeah. that's like a cardinal rule. Usually I'm like, I'm not gonna see a movie unless I've read the book. And this one I'm like, I just had no time. One I mean of, Yeah, one of the interesting things I've heard about this movie um, I can't remember who, I think I listened to a review of it, and the, somebody said, people who haven't read the book love it, and people who've read the book hate it. Um, so Is that I don't, your view, Bo? Yeah, but, well, I, Bo hated the book, so... <laughs> I, oh, there yeah, you go. so I wouldn't say I'm in that camp. So I, I hated the book. I did not like <laughs> it. I, I think the book, the book is one of the, one of the most confounding popular pieces of media in the last like 10 years for me. I I do not understand how it's so popular, like how Ernest Klein has just exploded. Um, He made, he wrote another book called Armada. Apparently I haven't read that, but other people say that that is like all the worst things about Ready Player One twofold. But um, so, (laughs) so if you're not for whatever reason, if you're not familiar with uh, Ready Player One is a story. Basically, it's set in the near, near-ish future, like in the 2040s, and it's sort of a post-apocalyptic situation. Like it's the world dystopian, is dystopian. Yeah, it's pretty dystopian. It's the world's not in a good place, and we focus on Wade Watts, who has been trying to find this Easter egg in this game. It's a worldwide Easter egg hunt in this virtual reality world called the Oasis that this nerdy guy, James Halliday created with uh, some co-creators and James Halliday has passed away. He's made this epic scavenger hunt in the Oasis and whoever finds the Easter egg uh, gets total control of the Oasis and gets his whole fortune. So it's almost kind of like a Willy Wonka and the chocolate factory ish situation. Um, So Wade Watts goes on this grand adventure through the Oasis, um, James Halliday was a huge fan of like 80s pop culture. So the book is infused with 
dozens, if not hundreds, of pop culture references. Every page you can you can take a highlighter and just highlight so, on every page. So here's so here's a question I have references. about this because this is something the book did that really annoyed me, and I skimmed through a lot of it. It just yeah. the, the book will just list reference after reference after reference yeah. after reference. Did so, you guys feel like the movie did that? Okay, so coming from someone who did not read the book, I can imagine that that would be super annoying. But like reading something, right? Reading a list right. is so much different yeah. than seeing it. So like right away, like one of the first big scenes is this like, you know, the classic racing with the like a car racing video game simulation. Right. And like in it, you know, um, you know, the main character rolls up in the DeLorean and you've got this like girl on a motorcycle that kind of looks like something out of Tron. And like, you know, there's King Kong smashing the track and a, a you know, very um, Jurassic Park typical like T-Rex chasing, chasing a car. And I'm picturing like if I read that on a page, it probably would be overwhelming and it would be like, Right. Another thing, another thing, another and, thing. And but on yeah, screen, yeah. it's so fun. So it works. And, so they so they work oh, it a lot better. Oh yeah, it okay. works so but, well. But here's the thing, though. That's where I was getting to. Is reading that in a book on the page would be fun, except that whole race is not in the book, Bailey. No, not at all. Yeah, that's that, like, so. So that that and, that blew my mind so when I saw the trailer. Why, this is why the movie is um, really great, and Spielberg elevated this source novel like in this adaptation it's really great okay. so uh, in this scavenger hunt there are three keys you have to find before you can reach the egg well in the book each key has a gateway that you have to jump through once you have the key and then there's a gateway challenge so there's also a challenge associated with each key so right. total that's like six hurdles you have to jump over and nobody knows where any of this sh stuff is so in the movie they geniusly removed the gateway challenges. So now you have a, a very um, understandable journey that they have to take. They just have to find the three keys. You know, all the all good things come in threes. So like they just have to find the keys and that's all. Um, so they took away the frustrating gateway challenges that would have been really hard to communicate on screen. And then the key challenges, they actually changed, I think, two of them dramatically so that they weren't, they're just more like visually pleasing and more um, easier to adapt. Yeah. That race is one of those big changes from the book. In the book, it's a lot more bland and not as exciting and more laborious. I would hmm. say it feels like a grind in the book, how they have to do all these things sometimes um, in repetition. And the easiest explanation you get for a lot of the things they do in the book is uh, Wade needed to do this. He failed. Then he tried 40 more times. <laughs> then he got it. I mean, yeah. that's that's a super simplistic way of explaining it. But essentially, that's what it boils down to in the book. But in this, it actually feels like they the writers took time understanding what didn't work for the book that would be really hard to adapt to the screen and modifying and i know that ernest klein was one of the co-writers of the script so it, it's great that they got him because that's the first person you should get i think when you're adapting right. a book uh, keeps of the spirit this magnitude 
Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think he was able to co-write this script with the understanding that, hey, a lot of this stuff is not going to work for the screen. Sure. So let's modify it. And we still get the spirit of the adventure that we need to have. Yeah. You know, they still he's there's still an Easter egg. There's still Wade Watts. There's still all these characters. It's just how we get there is a little bit more well suited for the medium that we're which, telling the story. Which in. I think definitely is like a complete tribute to Steven Spielberg's talent. I mean, um, one thing, and I know where I wrote this in my review, is that, you know, Ernest Klein is like a Spielberg fanboy from everything I've read. Mm -hmm. He's like, there were way more Spielberg Easter eggs in the book that actually ended up in the film. And I think that just kind of is shows, you know, this director's talent. He just is able to take a story and elevate it even more um you know i think about other books he's adapted like jurassic park i mean that book is like four inches thick that, and i'm sure it's full of like yeah. you know michael crichton's like like scientific jargon it's really hard to muddle through and obviously <laughs> you know spielberg t turned that into a cultural phenomenon that ends up being in ready player one and um i don't know it's, it's just so much fun and i said this in my review as well it just feels like classic spielberg it just feels like you know, he's been he's been so focused on period pieces and biopics for like like nearly a decade now, you know, with Warhorse and Lincoln and The Post, which did really well at the Oscars um, or at least in the whole awards season. Um, but it just feels like that goofy Spielberg that like we missed from the 80s and 90s with E.T. and Jurassic Park and um, all those other really awesome and t and like timeless films and I, th I do feel like ready player one is the kind of movie that kids are going to see now and then they're going to like watch again like throughout their teens and like as they get older and um remember some of those like i just even remember like certain um like there was a lightsaber at one point like as a weapon huh. and then you've got iron giant like black like blasting around on this like huge battlefield and like again coming from someone who does not really play video games i found myself like elbowing my husband every time I saw something. I was like, I know that. That's from this. Yeah. That's from this. And like, oh, that's the gun from Gears of War. And it's <laughs> it's 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 funny because it's a story, like you said, about a, a kid, you know, going on this classic adventure, trying to find these Easter eggs. And that's really what the movie going experience is like too. It's like an adventure. And then every time you see an Easter egg on screen, you kind of feel like you accomplished something. Like I know I saw um, Indiana Jones, he had his lasso out and he got blasted by somebody's gun and you know taken out of the game and you know my husband didn't even catch that one you know they're so quick and so fast that mm. it's like it feels like your own accomplishment watching this movie because you're like oh i caught that oh i saw that and yeah. you know i i do think there were parts of the story that were a little lost to that but i think it's so fun that you almost get done and you're like i don't even care that like i don't know that much about the secondary characters like the the story, and I, I'm one that never says that. Like, character development is usually huge for me. Yeah. But the story of it, it was just so fun. I just, like, mm. left there feeling like, should I start playing video games? Or, like, <laughs> it was so much fun. So one of, yeah, the, and one of the things that I grew to resent in the book was how the characters, especially the main character, Wade Watts, is so awkward and corny, like an actual sort of high school kid. Was that? Did you get that vibe in the movie, or did the, was the acting better than what the book made the character out to be? I think the acting was honestly 
pretty good. I mean, he still is awkward, but like, I mean, the whole premise of the movie anyway is that you go into this oasis to be somebody else. And in, in a way, like, you know, it almost doesn't matter if he's awkward in the real world or not, because kind of the movie kind of shows you that the oasis is a place where like really important things happen. And personally, I think Olivia Cook, who played um, Artemis, kind of the the main female in the in the in the film, I think she's going to be someone to watch for. I mean, anytime she was on screen, it sizzled. It was fun to watch her, hmm. and um, which is hard to come through in animation. Yeah, um, sure. You know, it's it's hard to see that chemistry between like animated characters. I feel like the last time I saw a movie where that really um, happened was Avatar. And this was like Avatar like in that way, you know, it, it it captured kind of the quirkiness of both of these young actors. And I think that was super fun. Interesting. I what, think. Yeah. yeah what do you think? Paul? Yeah. The the some of the characters were pretty faithful to the book and then others they took liberties with like okay. removing entire arcs. So some of the more problematic subplots from the book, they just stripped out, which is another great uh, change from the book. Um, as far as like some of the relationships, like between Wade and Artemis, they develop a, a relationship that you know I I think is was kind of unearned in a way. The book really takes its time with that because Wade talks about how he's a fan of Artemis, uh, this famous player in this Oasis world, and in this movie uh, she's introduced like very much more quickly than in the book, and okay. um, I found their relationship to be a little bit too surface level, oh, sure. but um, they they stripped out a lot of the like problematic subplots from the book, but uh, I think they could have done uh, a little improved their relationship building a little bit more. Sure. Okay. And then I will say this, this is like my one, which kind of like, I think you said earlier that when you're watching a film of this scale visually, some of that kind of relationship building and character building gets a little muddled. Um, the one like weird quirky thing I had a problem with in this movie is that like the Oasis is a, like a global network that people go into, right? Like they go, anyone from anywhere can enter this Oasis and so that means whoever you're playing with in the game could be like across the world from you. And it's super convenient that all of his closest friends in the game live in this live in Cleveland, Ohio with him. That was like my one yeah, thing that's that I walked a out and I was like, wait yeah. a second. Yeah. They're not supposed to know each other outside the game. They don't know each other outside the game in the movie anyway. And then they're all just conveniently like in Ohio together. I'm like, well, that's super, that's super worked out. <laughs> yeah. So my, my old spoilers for ready player one, the book and Brian back me up if I get this wrong, but in the book, I remember he actually does not live in close proximity to a lot of the people he knows. And, and he just, he just knows them in the Oasis. And then through, um, through developments in the plot, he comes to meet them, some of them in real life, but they have yeah. to, travel to each other they just don't all live in ohio so right that's that's something they did just for convenience for the screen and i understand why they did that they right that you gotta was, suspend your disbelief a little bit but i was like okay cool like all like a, these five major players all live in cleveland ohio neat yeah so in the book wade watts is like this fat greasy kid and uh <laughs> yeah <laughs> he no he, yeah he's right <laughs> he has this like he has this long stretch of time where he actually um like 
exercises and separates himself from a lot of what's going on for a while so that he can get fit and stuff. So, it's so really I'll great. say it. He, he tries to go out with Artemis and she, and she basically turns him <laughs> down. So he gets all depressed and then he starts to like work out and stuff. And he sets like his rig in the book so that he, if he hasn't worked out for X amount of time, it'll lock him out for the day. Yeah. And so he works weird. out and like in the book, I think that talks about how he starts to get like six packs abs and stuff. It really feels like Ernest Klein is kind of projecting a little bit there. <laughs> yeah. In a way, I'm sure he is. Yeah. Long so story it, short, like this would be one it's just sounding like it. And this is coming from an English teacher. I, it sounds like you're fine skipping the book and just seeing the movie because yeah, totally. the movie was epically awesome. I think so. Yeah, I definitely preferred this to the book. <laughs> like like we said earlier, it is visually stunning. I mean, this is one of the, the best looking movies I've seen in a while. The All the visual effects are spectacular. There were things that wowed me every 10 minutes. I was like, wow, wow that's crazy. Huh. And uh, so I think it's worth seeing on the big screen just for the visual effects. Yeah, and visual definitely. effects play a huge role in this movie. Um, it's it's a satisfying sit. It's, uh, it's a little corny. Like the book was corny in its dialogue. There's a lot of like nerdy leet speak stuff in oh, the sure. book. And that certainly makes its way into this movie so that that can be cringy for a lot of people it certainly was for me um but that's the spirit of the adventure too because it, it is about being in this world this video game so totally. that's just part of the territory yeah okay i would say when when we're thinking like long term you know what's this movie gonna do i mean i would say if we're looking forward to the 2019 oscars i would not be surprised to see this in some like visual effects categories i could see that i i bet it would i you know it had visual effects on the lever, level of like star wars you know and wow. star wars is a movie that that gets nominated for those I categories think, so i think better in some ways because it really like I, at least the last star wars movie which i was not a super huge fan of um really kind of it's like devolving and just turning into like oh massive explosions and this mm -hmm. movie was more like layering in sometimes like 2d animation onto like you know a more complex obviously 3d animation because they this is a 3d option movie um but like i mean they're playing like atari and you know the the balls bouncing back and forth or whatever on this like in this super elaborate like ice sculpture mountain castle place and it, it's just like <laughs> funny to see that going back and forth over this like sparkling prism on screen and it's that i know for me when i left was like that was fun to see yeah d describing any grand visual spectacle in this movie you sound like an insane person just i know you're like oh it's like, a, complex it's like it a t-rex on top of like a skyscraper <laughs> and then yeah it's it's, it's like if a you race, wanna... but there's a king kong that tries to smash you but like you you have to avoid him but it's a secret and yeah. like <laughs> he's killing everybody and yeah it's no, it's literally, and that's where I love Spielberg for this, because obviously, like, I can just picture him sitting down storyboarding and, like, being like, hee, 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 we're going to do this and this and this. And it's, like, combinations of pop culture things that no one would have ever, ever, ever thought of before mm. this movie. And I think that's just what made it such a treat to go to and actually see on the big screen. I think people would miss out if they don't see this on the big screen. Yeah, oh. and one more quick thing. There are there are very masterful, speaking of Spielberg, he does these very masterful little moments of visual storytelling that on a page would take a paragraph to explain, but on the screen happen instantly. Like um, oh, okay. in the Oasis, if you die in the Oasis, you lose all your money and all your stuff and it just spills out of your character. And then other people who are nearby can like suck it up. Sure. And in the movie, when they're going through that race, we've been talking about if a car crashes, like someone's car gets smashed and their avatar dies, 
all their money spills out and Wade Watts is like racing next to them and all the money gets sucked into his body and you understand that he is like using their money and he uses their money to like instantly buy more fuel for his car. Huh. And in a book, like it would take at least that many words to describe it in the book, but it happens like that in yeah. the movie. There's so many moments like that where I was like, wow, only Spielberg or any other like master filmmaker on that level could have communicated that that sure. way. Okay, interesting. Yeah, no, I, I I was on the fence about seeing it, but the way you guys make it sound, I really want to see it now. So, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll have to. Um, Bo, I wanted to talk quickly about another movie that we saw, um, a documentary, Survivor's Guide to Prison. Um, this is very different than Ready Player One and Black Panther. Um, uh, the mood is the mood is a little bit heavier. Uh, what were your first impressions about Survivor's Guide to Prison? Uh, Survivor's Guide to Prison. Well, going into it, I had seen the trailer and I knew that on surface level, it was sort of advice for you if you ever found yourself in the unfortunate position of being in prison. You know, I mean, that's basically what the trailer communicates. I knew that there were a lot of famous people attached to this movie as well. If you look at the poster, you see Danny Trejo's face, and you also see a list of other people who show up, like uh, Q-Tip, Ice-T, Susan Sarandon, Busta Rhymes, RZA, Tom Morello, Macklemore, uh, Patricia Arquette, lots of, Quincy Jones, Danny Glover, lots of different um, celebrities are attached to this movie. So um, I went in thinking, like, okay, I'm going to learn a lot about celebrities, and I'm going to learn a lot about prison. And what it ended up being was actually even that and even more. Um, it, it, it ended up being this, this sprawling look at the, uh, at the prison system, the U.S. prison system, um, what it's like to talk to law enforcement, get arrested, go through the trial process, get convicted, what it's like to be wrongfully convicted going on a journey to freedom and all of the problems associated with with prison and our misconceptions on the prison system and the people who are in there all those ideas are in this movie and more it is it is so scatterbrained of a documentary and i we talked about this after the movie how it it was almost too scatterbrained for its own good but if you're looking for a broad scope look mm -hmm at the U.S. prison system, I would look no further than this movie. It's totally. got a lot of ideas. Yeah, definitely. And you mentioned how there's a lot of famous people involved in this. I think that works to this movie's benefit. I think it it, it walks this line to where it's almost too many people and it's almost too scatterbrained. But I think that for a topic like this, where you're really trying to draw attention to, to something that, that uh, you know, uh, Matthew Cook is the director and I think he really tries to, to make it seem like it's this big national epidemic. And I think that making, making so many famous people appear, at least, to care about this thing makes you feel like, oh, this really is something that a lot of people know about and care about, and I need to pay more attention to this. So mm -hmm. I, think, I think that worked to this movie's benefit. And, and like you, I think this almost walk the line of, of being too scatterbrained for its own good, but, but it follows the story of the two people who were wrongfully convicted and then it follows their path to, to becoming freed. And I think that really is the skeleton that the movie builds itself on and I think it just works mm -hmm. to, where, to where it works really well, I thought. 
Yeah, I actually, those two guys that we case study throughout the movie, um, we, we kind of jump to them and from them throughout the experience. I would have loved to see just a documentary on those two guys. Um, those were those were the most interesting parts to me because they experienced a horror story that we've all thought about. Yeah, that, totally. That everybody is everybody's afraid of being wrongfully convicted. We've all heard about it happening, and it happens so much. Um, and so those were very interesting looks at things that we, as as a population, are scared about and are aware about. Um, and yeah, I, I agree that all of the celebrity appearances do kind of play a role in in giving um, attention, getting attention to this problem. And there are actionable things addressed at the end of the movie. You know, the, the, the movie says, this is not a movie, this is a movement, and actually points you towards a, is it a charity or a... Uh, it's, a, a face, uh, it's a Facebook page, I think. It's a Facebook page uh, that basically is letting people know about the problems of the U.S. prison system. So it, it does give actionable hope for those looking for a little bit, you know, something more, and the celebrity appearances help reinforce that. Yeah, no, totally. I um, I thought it was a it was a really interesting documentary. I think, I think if you want to know anything about, or if you have any passion towards um, um, the American justice system or the American prison system, I think it's it's definitely something to check out. Um, I thought it was great. Um, and Bo, I, I I got the same idea from you. I think we both we both enjoyed it. Yeah, I not enjoyed knowing, it quite a bit. Not knowing anything about this and only just now hearing about it, your guys's um, summary of it does seem like something that i mean long term could end up on nominations for best documentary at the oscars next year i mean it's those kind of political topics seem to be um areas that they're looking for and especially with this as star-studded of a, a cast as is in this movie it, it sounds like a unique take that i could see maybe i mean maybe we see survivor's guide to prison pop up next year on the nominee list. I wouldn't be surprised. Totally. We and could. I, we could. The the big hurdle I see there is it's having trouble gaining steam. Um, not many people have seen this movie, and I think it's just because it hasn't been rolled out to a lot of theaters. We were lucky that the Ross here in Lincoln uh, was screening it, but they only screened it for like a week. Um, which I, I feel know like that, can be a problem of those, especially the documentary um, yeah. category. I mean, usually every year I like look and I'm like, okay, which streaming services are offering yeah. these documentaries because they're yeah, never no in theaters. And usually it's only like one out of the five that maybe is on Netflix or something. One. So, I mean, hopefully that doesn't, it sounds like an important topic that should be talked about. Mm -hmm. And hopefully that doesn't deter, you know, maybe some awards shows from putting an emphasis on it and nominating it for a, for an award. And this feels like something you'd watch on Netflix and then go to work the next day and be like, I watched this documentary. Did you know this, this, and this yeah. about the, this, this is very much one of those documentaries. It, it fires off all these, all these statistics that sound really interesting um, and kind of make you want to watch the documentary to learn how they apply them. Um, the, yeah. There's a ton of statistics like that in the movie. Um, and, and I think that's, that sort of stuff is, is, is really interesting. Um, the documentary is reminiscent of another documentary that came out a couple years ago uh, called 13th, 
that was directed by mm-hmm. Ava DuVernay. Um, it's on Netflix right now. Have you, yep. either of you seen that one? I haven't. I haven't, but that but I've heard similar conversations about that movie compared to the one that you guys are talking about right now. Yeah, so that's that's another hurdle I could see with this movie is it, it is easily compared to Thirteenth, and I think it's actually um, slightly inferior to Thirteenth just because Thirteenth is more focused in what it's trying to say about um, the injustice of the prison system towards. Uh, persons of color, you know, and and this one, it touches on that for sure. It certainly does, but it touches on about a dozen other topics too. So um, I would love to see this get more distribution for sure. Okay. Uh, yeah, no, I just want to talk about that really quick. Um, I, I hope yeah. I hope it gets seen by a, lot of, by a lot of other people. It certainly made me think about a lot of different things and I hope that a lot of other people see it and, and sort of, it sort of starts a conversation. Um, Bo, you also saw Annihilation. Um, what? So, so I've seen a lot of people who, who really enjoyed this movie. Um, and a lot of them compared it to Arrival. Um, what do you, what do you think about that comparison? Uh, well, I think Arrival is a, is a better movie. Arrival was my favorite movie of 2016, so it holds a special place in my heart. But I, I certainly see those parallels. Um, they both sort of deal. They're they're both science fiction films that end up being less about the the crazy phenomenon that's going on around our characters and more about humanity and the characters themselves. Right. So it uses science fiction as a vessel to sort of explore more about humanity. So I see that comparison definitely. Annihilation uh, stars Natalie Portman and just a, a slew of great actors. Um, it's the the phenomenon going on is there's this shimmer that has appeared on the coast, and um, Natalie Portman is a scientist who goes in with a team, uh, notably of all women, to go uh, explore what this phenomenon is all about. They send in teams of people. They send in robots, drones to go examine what's what this what is in there and nothing comes back and uh to talk about this in depth is to spoil a lot so i'll be very you know minimal with spoilers but uh performances here are great visually stunning um the the world inside this shimmer is very colorful um which is a little incongruous to some of the more horrific things that happen huh. inside but uh yeah it is suspenseful it is uh scary but also um gives us a really positive look at um at what it means to be scientific and what's great about what any other movie that would have these characters is you'd have Natalie Portman starring and she'd have the supporting cast of four other scientists with her and we wouldn't really they'd be pretty one-dimensional and she would she would be the most in-depth by far but in this movie all of them are detailed all of them are damaged in some way and we learn a lot about all these characters and what we learn about those characters and where they've been and their problems tie into the conflicts they experienced later in the movie interesting Um, it is adapted from a novel that I have not read, but it is uh, directed by Alex Gar- Garland, who made Ex Machina a couple years ago, which is another oh, yeah, excellent yeah. science fiction movie. Yeah. And uh, Annihilation is um, sort of is th- this slow uh, buildup to a, a crazy finale that you don't see coming mm. that 
really explores self-destruction and what we do to ourselves and the people we love and what we're willing to do to ourselves that we won't do to our loved ones and so many other ideas. There's uh, themes of environmentalism in here too. A lot of ideas in this. Interesting. Um, it's it's not worth looking up a plot synopsis. Just go see it. Um, it's probably left theaters by now, but I know that Netflix has the exclusive rights to stream it after its theatrical run. So it's oh, coming sweet. to Netflix oh, awesome. soon. And actually, America is the only place where they gave it a theatrical run, I've heard. And everywhere else um, in the world can see this on Netflix already. So pretty soon it's coming to American Netflix, I'm pretty sure. So see it when it comes to Netflix. Awesome. Definitely that was a movie that I was keen on seeing because of Natalie Portman. I enjoy her as an actress. And like I feel like we've seen her grow as an actress, too, which is cool because... That's not always the case with Hollywood stars. They kind of like either plateau or they just have always been amazing. Or they but with her, out. there's been a growth. Um, and then like, I know you guys or some of you maybe have seen A Wrinkle in Time. And that yes. was another movie that was intriguing to me, honestly, just because of the cast. Everything else about it, I'm like, does not interest me even slightly. But like the <laughs> cast, like that's a movie that I almost went to see just because I'm like, okay, if Oprah's in a movie, I should probably be seeing it. <laughs> Yeah, but yeah. what do you think of uh, A Wrinkle in Time? Speaking of movies yeah. that were adopted from novels. No, yeah, that's a great that's a great segue. Um, a Wrinkle in Time is another adaptation of um, a children's book that's at least fifty years old. And yeah, I, I never remember, read the book. I remember reading this book when I was like a kid. So you, so you read the book, and um, I'm curious to know what you remember about the book. I knew very little about the book going in. Um, what, what did you do? What do you remember about the book? I'm just curious. Um, honestly, I almost remember the sequel book more because the sequel book gets very out there. It gets very weird. There's like this weird, like telepathic lion thing that they introduce, and like it can, yeah, it can communicate telepathically. And um, mm. I just, I remember, I distinctly remember the ending of A Wrinkle in Time, or the climax rather, and them finding their dad. And I remember it being very, like, at least in my head, and maybe the way it was described in the book, was this very dark place. And, like, mm. very dark and sort of devoid of, of like, time and light. And it almost seems like in the trailer they set it up that way a little bit. Um, I, I didn't see the actual movie, but um, I don't know if that's the way they set it up. But, yeah, I, dis I distinctively remember the climax being very sort of dark and, like, like physically, literally dark. Which is yeah. interesting because that's, like, a huge reason that you're saying that that I don't I was not interested in this film or the book either. It kind of reminds me of like like Wrinkle in Time, Phantom Tollbooth, um, oh, yeah. the Never Ending Story, you know, Pan, Pan's Labyrinth, which are all like celebrated films and books. But I Real weird. something about like that, <laughs> so, yeah, something about that concept of like ooh space and time and like gravity and like things like that don't exist. I find that all sometimes really just hard to like relate to yeah, on screen and especially in a book too so like never read any of those books never read any i think i read phantom tollbooth but like a wrinkle in time book or movie it's just like a con conceptual film that like i know personally i would have a hard time sitting through and being like okay like up is down and down is up and you know oprah has like green hair or whatever you know like <laughs> i i like, love it yeah but i just looked at it and I was like, well, this just seems like it would mess up my sense of like what reality is, which I know is probably the whole point of that movie. Um, but 
yeah, something about it, like, besides the star-studded cast, I'm just, like, really not interested in, which is disappointing to me. Mm. And well, I don't know, I guess I want to hear what you thought about it, Bo. Yeah, these stories are kind of balancing acts, right? Because um, they are about kind of really tough, mature subject matters. Um, there's a lot of darkness in this movie, but it is a Disney film. You know, so you have to look at it through that lens when you uh, watch it, especially if you've read the book. I've talked to a couple people who have read the book, read them as as when they were children and grew up knowing the story. And so um, because this was a I believe it's a quadrilogy, a series of four books, um, they had to squeeze a lot into this movie. Um, I think that that balancing act that it tries to achieve is not so successful in all areas um there just tonally it is all over the place and it's very efficient in storytelling in some places and then very laborious and clumsy in others uh there's a whole sequence on earth where we're meeting our characters and everything is just so bland there's the first like 30 minutes of this movie is just a slog i mean you everything looks washed out even like it's just so bland and and boring um, but then once some of the more fantastic, cosmic, more visual effects heavy things start happening, and I'm not saying that it's better because of the visual effects, but it, it just turns into a more imaginative um, tale that's that's intriguing to watch because a lot of its ideas start to take form. Once all that stuff starts happening, it becomes a better sit. Uh, there are some characters that don't really... Um, live up to the expectations set by our lead actress, uh, Little Storm Reed, who plays Meg Murray um, as the lead in this movie. Um, she is fantastic. Um, she is a fascinating young actress to watch. Uh, her character is a character that lots of kids should look up to. She's um, She loves science. She loves sharing her love of things with the people around her. She loves using the love that she has for her friends and her family to fuel her journey. So she's um, someone that we can all look up to. And she's, you know, this little girl. I think she's she gave just like a really nice, subtle, grounded performance that I really enjoyed. Um, some of the other children in the movie uh, were more annoying, like her her younger brother, Charles Wallace, um, is supposed to be this very smart kid, like five or six year old, according to the book I hear. Uh, but he ends up being just like this high pitched annoyance the whole movie, and he's kind of like cringe every time he opens his mouth. I didn't really enjoy him, and he makes a turn near the end of the movie that I didn't buy because he was just kind of an annoying character throughout. Uh, there's, like you said, Oprah's in this movie, and she's great. She brings all of the great parts about what it means to be Oprah to her role and actually like gave me goosebumps whenever she would talk to Meg Murray. You know, she gives her these uh, these great one on one conversations about life and how she's loved. And um, so some of the more emotional parts worked. But then there are some other fantastic uh, kind of fairy like uh, characters played by Reese Witherspoon and Mindy Kaling, and they sort of don't amount to the expectations set by Oprah just because Oprah just downsizes them into these um, afterthoughts by comparison. Is, yeah, kind of disappointing because they're both such great actresses in their own right. And, like, sometimes when the cast is so star-studded like that, I do have that worry. Is like, okay, is one of them going to outshine the other? 
like what are their roles with each yeah, other and a cast, a cast I, I don't know so i saw big, that right? i was like how like how can one of how can the three of them simultaneously be like moving through it like we are all good actresses on the same level like obviously we're going to predict that oprah would be best but um, I, it, like, yeah, maybe, I, yeah. I don't know. It's like it's a bummer because I feel like Reese Witherspoon personally. I've become so much more of a fan of hers even in the last year, and yeah. you know to see her kind of be on screen, and I kind of had this feeling that that was going to happen. Is just that she was going to be there, and it was just going to be her name, and then like nothing really happens, and yeah, that's yeah, kind of what love, it sounds like it happened. I love Reese and I love Mindy as actresses and other things. I love anything that they're usually in, but I think the way their characters were written were just very shallow. And uh, there are other other actors we recognize in this movie, like Michael Pena and Zach Galifianakis. And Those Chris Pine, who like movie. is like missing for most of the movie, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. Chris Pine is Meg Murray's dad. He goes missing, and he's the reason for her whole journey throughout this movie. But um, yeah, like Zach Galifianakis and Michael Pena, they, they it just seems like they got them for name recognition, not yeah. because they actually because of any like good character choices they made. The casting just didn't make sense in some areas, but I'm, I I think it's really cool how they did get some of the names that they got. Uh, Chris Pine, on the other hand, is great. He's an awesome father figure. I did not expect him to give the um, genuine, heartfelt com- performance that he did. He, He's like surprising at- me lately. Like, Wonder yeah. Woman, I, I walked Wonder out Woman, of that and excellent. I was like, I'm a... I was like, yeah. I'm a Chris Pine fan now, apparently. Right. He makes a <laughs> really good. confounding decision near the end of the movie that I can't spoil with regards to Charles Wallace, the younger brother. Yeah. But he has a moment with um, Meg Murray, his daughter, near the end of the movie that, like, I was kind of starting to tear up. Like, it was oh. it was very well done and and very emotional. So now, it has it has its moments, but it's not successful in all areas. To your point about the cast, it kind of reminds me of that weird trend in the early, like, 2010s in Hollywood where they made those movies with, like, casts that were so big. Like, do you all remember the movie Valentine's Day? Yes, and, like, yeah. they made another one, like, uh, I think New Year's Eve. Yeah, yeah, and, like, yeah, yeah. It was that yeah, weird, yeah. and it was all these short stories with a ton of famous people, and, like, they had yeah. no direction or, or, or like, like a concrete story or anything. This is kind of what that feels like, where the cast is so big and there's so many big names that there's just not enough screen time for everybody. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's that's certainly the case. There's There's weird, like, just as an example of a weird subplot, thing that isn't really expanded on is Reese Witherspoon's character has a weird fascination slash relationship with Zach Galifianakis's character and it's it's like kind of hinted at but then just tossed away for the rest of the movie it's oh. almost unnecessarily weird. there's a lot of moments like that it's, like it's where Chekhov's relationship basically yeah <laughs> there's there's a lot of there's a lot of things, if you see this movie and you haven't read the book for a long time or haven't read the book, and you want to know more behind some of the more confounding parts, talk to someone who is familiar with the book or research the book, because there's a lot of really complex ideas from the book that are just kind of, the ideas of them are skimmed over, but they don't really give them the proper amount of time to develop the way they should. And so we're left to assume things based on quick visual um, uh, visual cues that aren't good at communicating what they're supposed to be communicating. There's like the scene with Michael Pena's character is the perfect example of this. And if you see the movie, you'll know what I mean. It's just, there's a lot of really complicated stuff that 
I think the was taken from the book, but wasn't given the proper amount of time. Interesting. In the in the runtime. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Okay, so Bo, you were really adamant about showing us uh, Sherlock gnomes. So and mainly, mainly, I'm just curious why you even like wasted your movie pass on <laughs> seeing this movie. Well, we saved the best movies for last, of course. Um, no, <laughs> yeah. No, I, so 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 a little precursor to this uh, with like like uh, so Bo, you you on Letterboxd, you put up reviews and short short and like star ratings of all the movies. And you put a one and a half star review of Sherlock Gnomes. I've never be- seen you been harsh on a movie until then. So, so I'm really yeah. curious to hear about this. Uh, so I went to this because my fiance wanted to see it, and um, there really was nothing else showing. And she said we could go to Sherlock Gnomes. I said really, and she <laughs> said yeah, it looks fun. Okay. Well, so she have... she teaches tro- children, so that doesn't surprise me. Right. But she, like me, did not end up liking it. So uh, uh, have you seen the trailer? This is the most interesting part of the movie is actually the trailer. Have either of you seen the trailer? I have not. I'll look it up as soon as we're done. I have not seen it. All I saw was gnomes, and I was like, I'm good. I don't even know anything else. I knew nothing about this movie, and I looked at, like, I saw that it was a thing that was out in theaters, and I was like, no. (laughs) Okay. Well, I'll get to the trailer thing in a moment, but... uh, so this is the sequel to Nomeo and Juliet, oh, sure. which came out. Of course. Like, which, you know. can I just like interject super quick? Like as a high school English teacher, I was teaching Romeo and Juliet like shortly after Nomeo uh-huh. and Juliet came out. So imagine being like, this is a classic Shakespearean tale of like, you oh, know, love. like what is what is love mean and like what does family mean? And they're all like, oh, you mean like Nomeo and Gnomes? Juliet? And I'm just like oh, wanting to like no. stab my eye out with like a rusty no. spoon and be like what has pop culture done to classic literature? You have literature? failed me. I know. No, it was, oh, it was as if the oh, Leonardo sorry. DiCaprio one wasn't bad enough. I mean, I actually liked that one, but then I'm like, now I'm jaded against all gnome movies because they're like <laughs> ruining our children. That just ruined actually, Sherlock I, gnomes for you. Yeah, I, I made the observation that, that we have this fascination in our culture with animating small creatures. There's the <laughs> Sherlock gnome, there was trolls, and then we have the Smurfs movies. Like every year, there's one of these movies well, where there's really like even the Pixar movies, small creatures. Even Pixar movies, like the people, they make very small. So I was watching Up last night, and like even in Up, like the old dude is like this almost like a square, and like mm-hmm. Russell is yeah, like all the people are like really squat and square, and like I'm, yeah, it's that same style sort of. I'm realizing now that I think I thought that gnomes. Smurfs and trolls were like basically all the same thing, and I guess I, I mean, just uh, yeah, that sure, they, <laughs> they essentially are, and that's that's my point is we have this fascination with taking all these small characters and making animated movies about them, and yeah, one might be called trolls and one might be called gnomes, but like it doesn't matter because it's all the same. Um, okay, um, so so do we want ri- to dive right into stuff we want to see? Or did, yeah. wait, or did you have I, more I, to say about I Sherlock gnomes? Just one more. So just my. Overall thoughts on Sherlock Gnomes. Okay. Bad movie. Okay. Um, and Shock- the thing shockingly. I Shockingly. <laughs> I just wanted to mention the thing I wrote in my letterbox review, which I think perfectly sums up the movie. Okay. In the trailer, you see the mankini gnome. It's the gnome that wears the banana hammock. And he wears sunglasses. And he jumps Me, into he jumps into <laughs> a mud pool and farts bubbles as he sinks into the mud pool. Okay. That 
that is his finest moment. <laughs> he is he is the most compelling character of the movie. And that's yeah. and that scene does not even happen in the movie. It happens really? in the trailer. What? <laughs> Why would you put and that in the trailer? Go watch the trailer after this. I guarantee you 90% of what happens in the trailer does not happen in the movie. Wow. And the trailer is better than the movie. That should See, tell Sherlock, you. Oh, wow. Sherlock Gnomes is the reason that I'm like slowly buying every single pre like 2010 uh, Disney movie because I'm just terrified that my future children are going to have to watch movies like Sherlock Gnomes and then therefore I will have to watch them. Doc and so Pine. I'm just like, I'm, it can't happen. Like there has like- to be better children's movies in this. It's like buying YouTube, supplies before the apocalypse. I YouTube, yes. searched, I YouTube searched Sherlock Gnome's trailer and the second thumbnail to pop up uh, the, the thumbnail is a gnome who appears to be walking and wearing like a string thong. Yes. Uh, yeah, with red butt cheeks. So very curious yes. already. Very compelling. That, I, he probably has a name, but he's just the mankini gnome to me. That's okay. all. That's all. Awesome. And yeah. it's, a, it's a very generic story. You've seen the story a lot. There are like triple and quadruple crosses in the movie that artificially make the movie longer. And uh, I hate the movie for that. So <laughs> that's all I have to say. Okay. All right. Thank well, you. Well, why, thank you for, thank you for that. Why don't we move on to stuff we want to see? Um, talk about some movies coming out um, uh, in the next month or so that we're really excited about. Um, one, th- one of them that we unanimously agreed on right away was a quiet place. Uh, John Krasinski's directorial debut um, that oh, it's not his debut. It's his third it, movie. Oh, is it his third movie? Okay, yes. I thought it, I thought it was. It's I his first. It was his debut. It's his first horror film, I believe. Okay. Yeah. Um, this the trailer for this immediately enraptured me. Um, I thought the trailer for this made this look incredibly original, and I'm super excited to see it. I'm yeah. excited for this movie for a lot of reasons. I love John Krasinski. Um, I love that he made it a point to be like, I am making this movie with my wife, Emily Blunt. I think that is awesome. Um, I've watched a lot of their press release interviews about this movie. um, And basically they're like soul bearing in this movie, which is kind of unique for a horror film. I think Um, it's also unique that I want to see a horror (laughs) film. (laughs) I typically like we'll stay away from those. But like, I've watched so many interviews that this, they're like, this movie is not about scaring you. It's about like identifying the, the deepest fears that parents have. And they're both parents. Uh, I think they have two kids and they're like, this movie is about, you know, what, what lengths would you have to go to protect your child? And like, what would the, you know, horrific results of not protecting them look like and i think that idea is so fascinating because usually horror films from my perspective are just like how can we make the audience like just terrified out of their wits yeah whereas this is going to be like um you know it's more psychological it's like what 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 are the deepest fears that you have as a family as parents things like that and another thing i think that's going to make this unique is the sensory experience you know yeah for sure Um, this is one thing i'm really excited about as well yeah is like, and I, I think I've even seen. Um, I just saw on Twitter, Stephen King wrote a review of this movie. Oh wow! And he was, you know, this the horror, the horror film yeah. like King, you know, um, you know Brian's podcast equivalent, right? Um, <laughs> movie you know, equivalent, rather. Movie equivalent, right? And he even was like, he he was like, this is just a sensory experience. Yeah. He was Ooh. saying that like, it makes you aware of every sound and even Emily Blunt in one of her interviews said like moviegoers they're not they're not going to stop touching their popcorn after like 10 minutes cuz they're going to be like 
this is too loud. Like I can't, I can't do this. So I'm just excited to see this and and experience it. And I think the only way to do that sounds like it's going to be in, in theaters. The theater. Yeah, which were, I'm like scared for, but also really <laughs> excited. There for. was this. So I was listening to, the, to these guys a long, long time ago discuss some of the scariest movies they'd ever seen. And one guy was talking about a very old movie where um, there's this really creepy scene that happens. Um, picture like you know the scene in The Exorcist where the girl like crab walks down the stairs. It's, it's yeah. something kind of like that. But he said the thing that made it so scary and so jarring was there was no music set to it. Oh, and yeah. he said that, And he said that that just gave it such a creepy, scary sort of feeling underneath it that there was none of the, the – you know how horror movies love the, the string section going on in the background. He said there was none of that. Mm-hmm. And he said it was terrifying. That's what this movie feels like on steroids. So I'm really excited – What's that? Yeah, when you're so, when you're selective with your soundtrack and your your sound effects, it actually adds to the experience. Yeah, and the trailer yeah. really brought me in because of that. Just like that that idea where like there's no sound for like just big chunks of the trailer. It has me really locked in. So I'm I'm really excited also, for this movie. I'm I'm hoping that this is like Emily Blunt's like finally when people are like Emily Blunt is talented because she's been in so many movies that I feel like people are just like oh she's pretty and she's British and like <laughs> that they just kind of like leave it at that and yeah. there's I, I feel like this might be the moment when people take I don't know why they're not taking her seriously as an actress because her characters like consistently are like well acted characters um, like even back to Devil Wears Prada, which is kind of like a trivial like fashionista movie, but she is so flipping good in it. And so I, I also heard that she did that bathtub scene that's like really iconically in the trailer. I heard she did that in one take. And Whoa. I'm just like, I'm like, this lady is insanely good. And I'm hoping this movie like just shows people that, that she's talented and enough to be like talked about more seriously and not just like, oh yeah, Emily Blunt's in that. Yeah, I hope so too. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Uh, a couple other movies I'm really excited for that are actually out at the Ross Theater in Lincoln right now. Um, uh, the Leisure Seeker, which has Helen Mirren and Donald Sutherland in it. Um, that seems really interesting. It's about um, – they're, they're an old married couple and Donald Sutherland has Alzheimer's. And he's really into um, – he's really into an old English writer, old English-American writer. I can't remember who it is from the trailer, Bo. Do you remember? I think it's, it might be Charles – it's not Charles Dickens. I think it's no. Hemingway. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. I think it is Ernest Hemingway. He's really into Hemingway, and he and she's taking him in like an RV to uh, Ernest Hemingway's house, and it's just kind of like about okay. their journey and how he ha- and how his Alzheimer's and how they're both coping with it. And um, I've had family members who have had Alzheimer's, so it's something that I can relate to. And I'm really, really like I really want to watch it. It seems really fun. It seems really heartfelt. So I'm I really want to catch that this week before it goes from the Ross, and then also. Another one I want to see, which uh, is getting big reviews and is supposed to be very funny and both something, something you've already seen, is The Death of Stalin with Jeffrey Tambor, Steve Buscemi, and, and a lot of other people. Uh, I'm, I really want to see this movie. Uh, Bo, Bo, without diving too deep into spoilers or details, what did you think? Well, I usually don't. I, it takes a lot for a movie to make me laugh. Right. I don't really enjoy the the standard generic like American comedy uh i i will enjoy it i'll sit through it but i won't you know guffaw laugh out loud this movie made me laugh out loud several times it is it is genuinely hilarious yeah um it it provides a pretty good history lesson uh russian history lesson as well interesting uh i think it has a really great amount of talent attached to it it is 
fantastic. I was I was attached to it the whole time. Um, the the dialogue is really great. It's set in Russia, but they all the British actors keep their British accents, and all the American actors keep their American accents. It's a satire. Sure. Um, you know, it just doesn't care about being authentic in every area, and I think that's that's to the film's credit because it gives it this tongue in cheek aspect. It's really funny and awesome. uh, really great ride. Yeah. Yeah, cool. No, I'm really excited for that. And then also, um, obviously, end of the month, Marvel Infinity War. I had my ticket already. Um, I had of this. Course you I do. had this weird. <laughs> I had this weird. I had this weird fear the, this last week where I was like, it seriously. I I can't even remember what I was doing, but it just like hit me in my brain, and I like stopped what I was doing, and I went, "What if this movie's bad?" Like I don't know why, but like I just immediately started worrying about what if this God movie's forbid. bad. I know it's yeah. see as a Marvel critic, I'm like hoping that it's bad. No, I'm like, I, I hope all bad. you nerds think sell all, out, think and of I hope all it's the payoff horrible. that would be ruined if this movie's bad. I don't think it will be. I think the Russo brothers are excellent, just filmmakers in general. They made they made, in my opinion, the best Marvel movie, which was um, Captain America: Winter Soldier, um, which is just an excellent movie. Um, I think I think there's a lot of really great things about that movie, just in terms of any movie. Um, and I and I think the Russo brothers are going to make a lot of great movies um, in the future. But I'm really excited for it. Um, years of payoff building up to this movie that I'm really excited yeah. for. But um, yeah, I mean, I mean that's a huge one. So I think I think yeah, that one that one made my list too. Yeah, I think sure. that's going to shatter a ton of records like Black Panther did. And I think Black Panther's hype is good for this movie. Which oh, it's definitely. weird. It's weird to say that a movie like Marvel Infinity War needs hype. But I think I think that Marvel's movies had gotten very samey and stale. And the formula they yeah. were using was the same. And I think Black Panther really invigorated that. Black Panther and Thor Ragnarok invigorated, invigorated that series at just the right time, I think. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm, I probably will end up seeing it. I feel very underqualified to be <sighs> seeing it because I'm like, I'm probably could like name the Marvel movie I've, I've seen on like one hand, which is sad. Um, actually, no, it's not sad. I'm actually kind of proud of that. But, <laughs> um, but I probably will see it just for like the, like, I don't know, the blockbuster factor. It's, it's kind of fun to be involved in those kind of things sometimes. And probably honestly, I'll see it just for like, to see those guardians of the galaxy characters, hopefully redeem themselves. Cause I really did not like. Guardians yeah. Of the that galaxy was so Marvel. weird. You hated the second one and I loved the second one. I thought the second one was just like as the good second. as the first. I think we were on. I think it was New Year's Ooh. Eve, Brian, and I yeah. think we were intoxicated, and I think we got into a very heated discussion about it. We, yeah, and we very actually, much did. I remember falling asleep that night watching that movie, oh. and I remember oh, yeah, thinking to myself, yeah. I don't know if I'm like drunk or if this movie is better the second time I've seen it, but I don't hate it as much as I used to. Well, and, and we watched it at like 3.30 in the morning. I remember we that stopped, I, we stopped halfway through, and everybody was like, let's just go to bed. <laughs> Yeah, no, I fought. I, I, I fought with several people about that movie. It's not just you. I got into a big argument with some of the NCB people about um, they, they. You know, we were listing top five Marvel movies, and I said that I think Guardians of the Galaxy two is damn close to being up there. Um, and some of those I guys really did Bailey. Like I, I second Bailey here. I think Guardians of the Galaxy two is not does not live up to the I first. Think, I'm I think. Sorry, I think you guys. I think you guys and everyone else expected a different movie and didn't get what you expected, and because of that, you're looking down. No, it. it just wasn't good. <laughs> I think I will ride or die for Guardians of the Galaxy 2. I think Guardians of the Galaxy 2 was an excellent movie. Um, But let's move on before we end up fighting about this for a half hour. Because I will. (laughs) I will. And I'll win. Because I've seen every Marvel movie except one. Um, uh, Oh, yeah, Bailey, you said Isle of Dogs was one you're excited about. Isle of Dogs. I am so excited for Isle of Dogs. I love Wes Anderson. Even though, like, when we're talking about formulaic movies, 
like Wes Anderson <laughs> the Wes An- is. There's like, a reason why they call like, it the Wes Anderson film. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It's like I just watched this video on Facebook that was like it like layered every Wes Anderson film on top of each other and they're all basically the same. It was like <laughs> it was like now here's a pan shot. Now we slowly zoom in. Like now there's a sibling that's like in love with another sibling or something. And um I don't <laughs> cool. know. I, I I love, I know, I love Isle of Dogs for the idea that it maybe actually might break that mold, but still keep Wes Anderson's super quirky style. I love how dry his movies are. I love that you're not sure, like, if laughing at that moment is a good idea or not. (laughs) And um, I'm excited to see how that happens in an animated film. Um, I just think it looks cute and it looks fun, but still, like, Definitely, you can tell just from seeing it, it's got that Wes Anderson style that I personally could watch over and over and over again, and I love so much. Um, the one thing I'm a little nervous about with it is I have this, like, I don't know if it's, like, a phobia or what it is, but I hate hate stop animation films. Oh, sure. And it, like, looks kind of like that, but I don't think it is stop animation. I think it's, like, actually digital. But I don't know. I'm I'm just, like, I want to see it because I'm, I'm curious about it and... I'm hoping it's not like super stop animation-y because for whatever reason, it like actually like makes me uncomfortable. So there's maybe the... A, yeah, there's yeah, kind of like know. an uncanny valley effect that yeah. some people experience well, with uh, stop motion. I thought it was stop motion. Is animation. it? I don't it know. Might, it might be. Well, maybe and, this will be the one to turn the tide for me. Well, and, sure. and, your, and your opinion about directors, I think that some directors can can build their whole career on making a certain type of movie. John Hughes did that. And John Hughes has so many good movies. And I think I think Wes Anderson is one of those directors who can get away with creating a certain style. And I think it's because it's so unique and so individual to them. And it's hard for any other director to really copy it because if they do, it's like, oh, you're just copying this director's style. Right. So I think right. I think and Wes it, Anderson is one of those directors that can get away with it. Um, it is stop animation. I just looked. Um, apparently, some of the dog hair is made from alpaca wool. So. Sure. Um, mm. I don't know. It looks smooth enough that maybe it won't like completely. I don't know something about like large you know, men like slightly like moving a tiny, tiny little like alpaca wool made figurine. Something about that is like creepy to me. <laughs> <laughs> so hopefully Isle of Dogs like breaks the curse of stop animation for me. And I, I have a feeling I'll like it probably yeah, just because sure. it's blessing. Totally. It's getting, it's getting a wider release, I think this next weekend. So hopefully more people will be able to see it. I know it's yeah. been in select theaters for several weeks now. And again, I mean, we're, we're thinking about Oscars long, long run. That is something I could definitely see. I mean, Grand, Bud- Grand Budapest Hotel for Wes Anderson did really well um, a few years ago. Um, obviously not animated, but Isle of Dogs. I could see that maybe breaking into that best animated film category. For sure, for sure. Yeah. Um, Bo, one movie you put down, and quite frankly, I forgot it was happening this month. I did too. Uh, yeah, and yeah, you, Bailey, should not have forgotten about this because your, hus- your husband would and be And like, Jake's probably going to glare at me right now, but I like forgot... That's solo yeah, was solo coming, coming out. out in April. Yeah, solo. I totally um, forgot. You, you probably movie, forgot it was coming out because there has been like nothing on this movie. This mo- yeah, <laughs> they, they have no they coverage. Took for for so long to release the trailer, and people have just given it up. They just think it's going to be bad. And I'm one of those people. I think this movie's going to be bad. Yeah, I'm I'm expecting this to be a dumpster fire, but that's why I want to see it. <laughs> so that's I, why so, I want to see it. I want to see it just be. I want a huge. Glorious Star Wars mess. Well, and That's you, just what you I want to see. You know More what or less of a dumpster fire than the last Stop Jedi. it. Stop it. I like no, this is what I want. This is what I want. 
I want this movie to be an absolute garbage fest and just trying to self-reference the whole trilogy, the original trilogy, <laughs> and all the Han Solo shit that happened. I want this to be super self-referential and awful because I want all the people that hated on The Last Jedi for being interesting and original, I want those people to see this movie and be like, oh wow, turns out an interesting and original Star Wars movie that took the series in a new direction is better than this crappy dumpster yeah. fire of a movie that's just awful and tries to put insert stuff into the source material i'm so ready for this movie to tank and for people to accept that the last jedi is a good movie no now, last jedi was horrible and here's what i'm excited for i know <laughs> you're both glaring at me it was a horrible movie it was not good whoa it, it was you, not good this I, is I will, like, gonna sound bad this is gonna be sound bad but did you see it twice i have no i'm not gonna wait seeing it, it a second seeing time. it Seeing it, I liked it the first time. Seeing it a second time gave me a newfound appreciation for it that I did not here, have the first time. Here's what I think is going to happen. Like, coming off of Last Jedi, which I guess we could all, the three of us could say, was um, awesome. a mix, mixed reviews. A top four Amazing. Star Wars movie. Mixed reviews. Top I four, think this is what's going to happen to Solo. I think people are going to go in with, like, super low expectations. No because, way. like Yes. Because no way. Last, it's Han Solo. Yes. Are you kidding me? But people who love Star Wars know, like, the troubles that this film has already gone through. Like, they've switched directors. Wait, wait, wait. Like, Hold on. So you're saying that, Bailey, you're saying people will go in with low expectations. And, Brian, you're saying no because people love to see Han Solo? Yeah, I think, so, I think people are going to have massive expectations. But, oh, but we're shitting on it already, and there's been barely anything about the movie. So you think <laughs> everybody else thinks the opposite? Yeah, totally. I think, oh, I think, okay. I think, the, casual, I think the casual fan who grew up on Star Wars is going to go into this movie and be like, oh, it's Han Solo, it's the Millennium Falcon, it's Chewie, it's all the classic stuff that you know and love, and it's going to be absolute ass. And they're going to be like, oh, this was terrible. I think I think I, you and I pay attention. Yeah. And therefore, we know it's going to be bad. I, I've think, heard a I think the casual th fan doesn't pay attention. Here's the I've thing. I don't think people even know this movie is like, I mean, they obviously <laughs> yeah, like, it's I happening. Was <laughs> they know it's happening, but like they've kind of forgotten. They're like, oh yeah, Star Wars comes out again in a couple months. Like, I don't know. I, I'm, I, I'm going to go in with low expectations. And honestly, I think it's, I, I have this feeling that it's going to be actually like decent. Yeah. That, I have that's, this feeling. I honestly, think it's going to be decent, and I think it's going to be fun. And I have this prediction. Actually, I think it was Jake, my husband's prediction. I think they're going to end, like, I, here's what I think they should do. He's you know, Solo's, like, infamous, like, castle run. I think it's going to yeah. end with Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I agree. We never know what happens. I agree. The very ending is going to be him starting the castle run. I, 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 I actually agree. I think agree that's a good idea. Yeah, yeah I think see, and that's the kind it. of shit that's so dumb with Star Wars. Stop referencing the old stuff. Stop sticking to the same trilogy. Come up with new ideas. Be like Ryan Johnson. Come up with new interesting things. Yeah, let me Embrace the new change. I am so excited to not look at the skywalkers and the solos Seriously. anymore with his new trilogy yeah so I, I just want to so get I was talking to my no brother. more skywalkers or solos yeah i was ah. talking to my brother-in-law this weekend and he said that he didn't like the last jedis for certain story elements but he said it was a really execute well executed movie and he said that he likes that it's it's it seems to start this new direction of creating and exploring new stories in the star wars universe which he said I'm he's not, so tired. To that yeah, at all. he said he's so tired I, of the Skywalker of the it, Skywalker the series, and he wants to see new stuff. And I think that's what we're going to start getting. That's not a problem with the movie. Like I'm fine with that. Explore the universe. That was like what George Lucas intended. But like the movie was 
horribly written. It was so bad. It was not a well-written movie. So, like, I appreciate the idea. I think it was well-intentioned. But it was just, like, dumb. It was, like, a badly written movie. Like, let's just introduce characters and then kill them. Or, like, let's, like, give this minor character super major, like, development and then not develop our main character at all. Like, it was just... Anyway, that's not what this podcast is about. What's it like? like, What's it like to be so wrong, Bailey? It is like to be so wrong. I am so right. It's a democratic (laughs) process here. You guys, you guys, democratically said that the Marvel movies are are whatever and mediocre. Democratically, Bo and I have decided that Star Wars: The Last Jedi is incredible. Wait, wait. no, I I just mean Guardians of the Galaxy Two sucks. Yeah, whatever, (laughs) whatever. You guys are shitting on Guardians of the Galaxy Two. Let me have the Last Jedi then. I side with Brian on The Last Jedi. I side with Bailey on Guardians of the Galaxy 2. Whatever, there. Bo. Quit being See, a I'm the mediator, so that means my opinion is generally No, Bo's right. the mediator because he sides with Bo. Yeah, I'm, I'm the mediator because I'm jumping sides. All right, so, okay. so one last thing to mention. Bailey, I think you put this down. Uh, Fahrenheit I 451 did. on HBO? Yeah, so, okay, so I think we've seen in the past few years that, like, streaming services are actually becoming a big deal when it comes to creating and making meaningful, awesome movies. Yeah, Netflix um, spends more money than, like, any studio in the world. Yeah, we think about like Amazon um, winning Best Picture for Manchester by the Sea. Like, you know, there's, there's, I think this kind of still tendency to think like what's going on on streaming services, like, isn't as big of a deal as what's happening in the box office. But I think Fahrenheit 451, um, which is going to be coming to HBO next month, um, I think it's going to be a really, really good flick. Um, I, I, and personally connected to this movie just because I'm teaching it to my um, juniors in my English class. Um, but I mean, we were just talking about Michael B. Jordan in um, Black Panther. He stars as Guy Montag, the protagonist of Fahrenheit 451. Mm. Um, I believe um, Michael Shannon is already is also in it, and he plays the antagonist, Beatty. Um, I love Michael Shannon. I, I, so much. I just think this is going to be a good movie. I mean. The last retelling of Fahrenheit 451 was like, I don't even know how old, and it wasn't good. And like, I don't even know, honestly, how Ray Bradbury let his movie be adapted that way, because it was just horrible. And I think this is kind of that dystopian um, technology rising and taking over, like, story that is so popular right now. And I think people have forgotten about this novel. So I think this is going to be a fun retelling of it. Um, I have high expectations um, for it just because it is HBO. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm curious, like, I just want to see it personally, but I will be curious to see, you know, I don't, other than like Game of Thrones, I don't know that HBO has created anything like that has, that has been super like award winning. I don't know if maybe you guys know other than Game of Thrones, it kind of just seems to be like uh, they have a lot of they have oh, a lot Westworld. of series. Westworld, I guess. Yeah, and I think true, I think True Detective True Detective did mm-hmm. well, but those are all TV shows. Right. So I'm curious to see like, you know, a uh, HBO studio produced movie and just see what that does and if if that makes, you know, if there's a hype following it or if it even has a chance in the awards ceremonies later in the year. Um I don't know, but I think it'll be fun to see, especially um, Michael B. Jordan in that lead role, um, which I know my kids are interested in because the book is like very whitewashed, um, yeah, for sure. which you know, um, you know makes sense in like a 1950s written book. Um, <laughs> but the the film is the exact opposite, um, so I think this will be interesting just to see like um, 
you know, that kind of angle with it and how it changes the dynamic of the story or doesn't. I don't know if it will or won't, but I think that's something exciting and unique about this particular retelling of it. Okay, yeah. Yeah, no, sounds sounds interesting to me. Um, does anyone have anybody, anything else they want to mention? Oh, we're kind of getting to the end here. No, I don't think so. Yeah, I think I think we've covered quite a bit. So uh, yeah, we'll be we'll be keeping track of everything that we watch in the next month, and then we will meet up at the end of April or beginning of May again and do this all over again. And then um, yeah, we'll just we'll we'll keep we'll keep writing reviews at No Coast Bias. Um, so keep checking there for written reviews of of different movies, and then keep checking back here for uh yeah our audio discussion once a month about everything that we've seen and um just going in depth like we did today so um yeah if you guys don't have anything else i guess we can wrap it up yeah let's do it all right cool get movie pass i know i will yeah, be seriously movie pass. get movie and pass and, and movie, movie pass, pass get us. us yeah sponsor a yeah, movie get pass us. get us and then everyone else we, get movie we pass. got you yeah. now you get us yeah exactly Come you on. scratch our backs because we're scratching yours. <laughs> uh this has been movie quest 2018, brought to you by No Coast Bias, NoCoastBias.com. I am Brian Hall. That is Bo Pullman. That is also Bailey Krieger. And we will see you next month.